0: Match chat is brought to you by Walters. Are you ready for some football? Well, Walters is, and Walters has all of the games for you all weekend long. Reservations are limited and can be found on all Walters social media channels.
1: Walk-ins will also be available, but will be on a first-come, first-served basis. So don't get left out and make your reservation today. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search
2: for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
3: Now the pitch. Fastball swung on, line to right, one hop, a base hit. Coming in from third to score is Escobar. Juan Soto has his second of the night. And two runs on the board here to start the top of the fifth inning. It's now the Nationals five of the Pirates two. Here's the pitch. Swing and a long drive. Right field, way back, going, going, and gone. A home run for Ben Gamble. The second home run of the inning. It's a three-run inning for the Pirates.
4: And this game is all even. High target from the catcher, Perez, and the pitch. Oh, inside, hit him in the batting helmet, the side of the face in the jaw area, and Ruiz is holding the side of his face after getting hit up in the face on the batting helmet. The runners go the 3-2. Swinging a ground ball, right side, out in right field. The ball booted by Garcia. All hands are safe, and two runs are going to score. Throw to third, not in time. With the runners going, Garcia's error leads to two runs. The inning that will not end. It's a nightmare. In Pittsburgh, the Pirates 9, the Nationals 5.
0: And welcome to NatChat Chat for Sunday, September 12, 2021. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Mark Zuckerman is off for this episode. Tim Shovers, he's always working, but uh, he's not with me for this episode. So it is you, it is me. Hope you're having a nice weekend. It is a great sports weekend. One of the best sports weekends Of the year. It is not, though, a good weekend, at least so far, for the Nationals, who are in danger of being swept at the lowly Pittsburgh Pirates over three games. A 10 7 loss at the Pirates on Saturday night in a game that took a lightning fast three hours, 53 minutes. But the Pirates, even with that win, have the second-worst record in the National League at 52-90, and 90, have the worst run differential in the NL at minus 205, and yet the Pirates are on the verge of sweeping the Nats. We all remember, right, it was a three-game sweep at the lowly Orioles, July 23rd through the 25th, that sealed the Nats' fate as sellers. Getting swept at both the lowly Orioles and the lowly Pirates in the uh, post-All-Star break portion of the season would not be good, but that is a distinct Possibility, but as we like to say, the outcomes of these games don't really matter anymore. What matters are how the potential building blocks do. And what's even worse right now than the Nationals being on the doorstep of a three game sweep at the Pirates is that Josiah Gray looks to be a mess. Uh, This is not good, this is very disheartening. And he was perhaps at his worst in this game on Saturday night. I mean, this set up to be a bounce back outing. The Pirates are not a very good team. Josiah Gray had some obvious mechanical issues in his last outing. Davey Martinez talked about those. Not that mechanical issues are always easy to fix, but pretty clearly the Nationals knew what the problem was. And Josiah Gray still had problems on Saturday night. He was bad for a third consecutive start. He allows five runs in five innings. And what stood out more than anything, clearly, the walks. Josiah Gray issued a jaw-dropping six walks over the five innings. He threw just 54 strikes versus 46 balls on 100 pitches. The Josiah Gray who we saw over his first five starts as a national was like nowhere to be seen for so much of this game. Six walks in five innings. He only gave up three hits, but they were three crucial hits. Two home runs and a two-run single. He had four strikeouts. Josiah Gray now over his last three starts has allowed 17 earned runs in 12 innings he rather quickly has gone from the guy who was pitching the best in the Nationals rotation to right now, you maybe have to say pitching the worst. I mean, it's quite a three-way battle for that honor between Josiah Gray, Patrick Corbin, and Derek Fetty, but at least Corbin was decent in his last outing. You know, you could say Fetty has that championship belt of who's the worst right now in the Nats rotation, but just the fact that Josiah Gray is a part of that conversation is very disappointing. Now, obviously, you don't write the guy off, and obviously, you chalk these last three starts up to growing pains. Okay. I'm still very excited about what Josiah Gray can end up being as a Washington national, but you know, you think about this season and it's not been a good national season. You think about next season and well, is it going to be year two of a rebuild or is it maybe just going to be year one of a retooling? And know the Nats kind of back into their winning ways. A guy who's going to have a major say-so in that is Josiah great? Because you see, when we talk about well, are the Nationals going to be rebuilding for multiple seasons to come, or are the Nationals simply retooling, and are they going to be back to winning sooner rather than later? The Nats can have whatever plan they want, and the Nats can think whatever they want. But ultimately, a good bit of this is out of their hands, right? Because if these young building blocks don't develop, then it don't matter what the Nationals want. The Nats are going to be bad for a while here. The path to the Nats being decent again next season, even being good again next season certainly would seem to include someone like Josiah Gray being good and getting to where you want him to be sooner rather than later. And so that's why how he does down the stretch of the season matters in particular. Like, no doubt you want him to be a piece for the Nationals for years to come, but when it comes to, like, the immediate future of the Nats, a guy like Josiah Gray has a pretty significant say-so. Because if you can go into next season with Josiah Gray pitching well and Cade Cavalli on the come, and maybe possibly you can find a fix for Patrick Corbin— You know, now you're cooking with some gas in terms of getting that rotation back on track. But Josiah Gray's a big piece of this, and now he's in this rut here of three consecutive bad starts. So he begins the outing in decent fashion, retires six of the first seven batters he faces, but he, in the bottom of the first, issued a one out eight pitch walk of Yoshi Sutsugo, despite him having been down to the count of 1.12. Get used to that name. You're going to hear it quite a bit. Gray then gave up two runs in the bottom of the third. On three walks and a single, issued a leadoff seven-pitch walk Ahoy Park, issued a two-out five-pitch walk of Sutsugo, issued a two-out five-pitch walk of Brian Reynolds to load the bases, and then Gray gave up a two-out bases-loaded two-run single to Colin Moran on a one-two pitch for a two-nothing Pirates lead. Now, Gray did toss a scoreless bottom of the fourth, but he, in that inning, issued a two-out six-pitch walk Ahoy Park. Gray allowed three runs in the bottom of the fifth on two home runs and a walk. Issued a one-out six-pitch walk, and guess who? Yoshi Tsutsugo, despite him having been down to the count at 1.12. Gray then gave up a one-out first pitch, two-run homer to Brian Reynolds to right field to cut the Nats' lead to 5-4. The homer going a projected 426 feet per stat cast, and then Gray giving up a two-out game-tying solo homer to Ben Gamble to right field to tie the game at five, that homer only going a projected 347 feet for StatCast. So you had walks and you had multiple home runs. It's a bad combination, man. You know, the whole thing of, well, he only gives up solo homers, eh, that's kind of going away here a little bit with him giving up that two run shot. But more to the point, the walks. The walks really were what slapped you right across the face. You don't see this often what Josiah Gray did on Saturday night, averaging more than a walk per inning as a starter. You know, sometimes you'll see a reliever give up multiple walks in one inning of work, let's say. It's not often you see a starting pitcher issue more walks than innings pitched. Six walks over five innings, and not a single one of those walks was intentional. This was not well he had to put this guy on base, you know, for strategic purposes. This was, he was having a hard time throwing strikes. Like I said, he threw just 54 strikes over 100 pitches. So Josiah Gray now, over his 48 major league innings, so that goes back to some of what he did with the Dodgers, he has allowed 17 home runs. He has issued 23 non-intentional walks. I took out the intentional walks because I don't want to put that on his account. 17 home runs allowed, 23 non-intentional walks over 48 major league innings. That works out to 3.19 home runs per nine innings and 4.31 walks per nine innings. Not good. Not good. Now again, we're not writing them off. We're not dismissing them. You know, we're not even really panicking here. It's just kind of noting where he's at. Not in a very good place. And the Nats got to figure this thing out. You know, the Nats cannot keep doing this, where pitchers come to them and get worse. You know, Patrick Corbin is worse. Eric Fetty is worse. Joe Ross is worse. Now Josiah Gray is becoming worse. Josiah Gray has to work out. The Nats have got to figure this out. And that he was so good initially as a Nat offers hope that the Nats can figure this out, right? I mean, it wasn't that long ago we were going nuts after every Josiah Gray start here on the Nats Chat Podcast. Josiah Gray over his first five starts for the Nats, over 28 innings of work, an ERA of 289. Beautiful. You love seeing that. And, you know, it's not like he fattened up on a bunch of patsies. You know, there was a 3-2 win at the Atlanta Braves on August 7th involved in that mix. There was a 4-2 loss to the Braves at Nationals Park on August 13th involved in that mix. There was an 8-5 win over the Toronto Blue Jays at Nationals Park on August 18th involved in that mix. Two runs in six innings. If you have doubts about the Blue Jays, look up their offensive numbers. Look up what the Blue Jays did to the Orioles in Game 2 of a doubleheader on Saturday night. So Josiah Gray did well against some good lineups. And now it's kind of funny, right? Against the uh, weak-hitting Buckos, he has some major problems here. On Saturday night. So, got to get Josiah Gray fixed. Of course, Josiah Gray and catcher Kbert Ruiz, the top two prospects, the headline prospects, and a crop of four prospects acquired for Max Scherzer and Trey Turner in the biggest of the trades that made up that sell off in late July. And speaking of Kbert Ruiz, he certainly was a headline item for the Nationals in this 10 7 loss at the Pirates on Saturday night. What an eventful game for Kbert Ruiz. I feel like I could do two hours on what happened with that guy on Saturday night. So he goes one for two with a big three-run double, but gets banged up. So let's start with the positive, and then we'll get to some of the negative here. So Caber Ruiz, as we all know, has not hit well so far in his time with the Nationals at the Major League level. He has that breakout offensive moment on Saturday night. You know he was dying to do this. It was great to see him do this. In a Nationals three-run fourth inning, Kbert Ruiz authors easily his biggest hit as a that so far.
4: So here's Caber Ruiz. Needing the two-out hit, and a swing and a line drive right center field, giving Chase chases the right fielder. Satsuko, it's by him and rolling to the fence. Scoring is Escobar. Soto will score. Bell trying to score the throw toward the plate. Josh is in standing. It's a
0: three-run double. The biggest hit is a national for rookie catcher, Cabret Ruiz. Two-out first pitch, three-run double to right center field of, uh, interestingly, pirate starter and former Nats prospect Will Crow, who was uh, part of the package the Nats sent to the Pirates this past December, and the Josh Bell trade. Terrific moment for K. ruiz You know, it's not like he has looked lost at the plate. He's gotten under some baseballs. He has been making contact. It's not like he's been striking out a ton, but you know, it was underwhelming. I mean, we've been talking about him on the pod. Great to see that moment. Great piece of hitting. You know, aggressive in the, in the plate appearance in terms of that being a first pitch, three-run double. Puts the Nats up 3-2. Now, what was interesting is that, you know, he does that in that Nats three-run fourth. That is, of course, the top of the fourth. This was off a bad defensive bottom of the third for k Ruiz. Like I said, this was an eventful game. So Pirates have a two-run third inning. First of all, Ruiz in this inning commits a two-out throwing error.
4: Gray Longhold brings it home. A high pitch missing and a throw into center field as Ruiz tried to pick off the runner. Park will head to third. Thomas picks it up, throws to third, and Kiba wants to come off the bag to catch the one-hop throw.
0: His throw in an attempted pickoff at second base went into center field, advancing Hoy Park to third base. The throw was terrible. I mean, this was just not a good throw at all. The throw hopped on the infield grass and into center field, didn't even make it to the infield dirt. And then later in the inning, and this was kind of a complicated situation, but the umpires, uh, the replay review, got this right. Ruiz deemed guilty of violating the home plate collision rule and offering no path to the plate for, guess who? Yes, Yoshi Tsutsugo. Here's
4: the one-two. swinging a line drive, right side, base in and right field. One-run will score. Tsutsugo trying to score. Soto's throw to the plate on one bounce. The tag by
0: Ruiz, who dropped the ball, but Tsutsugo missed the plate, so Ruiz picks it up and tags him out. Who ended up being ruled as scoring on what ended up being a two-out bases loaded two-run single by Colin Moran on a one-two pitch. For a 2-0 Pirates lead. So Ruiz did not position himself properly, did not allow for a proper path to home plate for Sutsugo. But also on this play, and this ended up not mattering, was Ruiz essentially committing a Wilson Ramos in not being able to hold onto the baseball, in tagging Sutsugo as he attempted to score off a nice throw by Juan Soto. Now again, none of this mattered because Ruiz was in the way in terms of that home plate collision rule, but Soto makes a good looking throw to home. And then Cabo Ruiz can't hold on to the baseball. Remember, Wilson Ramos used to have that issue. Ruiz did gather the baseball and tag Sutsugo for the apparent out, but that ended up being overturned via a replay challenge by the Pirates. So bottom of the 30 has a throwing error on the attempted pickoff and then violates the home plate collision rule. Also drops the baseball. Then in the top of the fourth, he comes through with his biggest hit as a Nat, that first pitch three-run double with two outs to put the Nats up 3-2. And then in the top of the sixth inning, Bear Ruiz, in a frightening moment, gets hit on the right side of his face by a pitch from Pirates reliever Kyle Keller for a leadoff hit by pitch. That was painful. You heard the smack. That did not look like it felt well at all. Now, I think we may have learned something about his toughness because for a while it looked like he was maybe going to stay in the game. And the good news was that he was kind of like moving his jaw After getting hit by the pitch, because that's the immediate, first of all, the concern is, is the guy, you know, knocked unconscious. When it became clear that he wasn't, then the concern becomes, well, did he break his jaw? And at least with him being able to move it, you felt, all right, maybe it's not as bad as it looked. He does, though, leave the game. I would think in a circumstance like that, he almost has to leave the game because he does have to go through... Some kind of concussion protocol gets pinched run for by Riley Adams. Now, the good news is that Davey Martinez during his post game press conference said that x rays on Ruiz negative, so that's excellent news.
5: Yeah, x rays were negative. Um, he's got a slight
0: headache, which uh, I'm glad that's all he has, but he's he said he feels fine, so uh, we'll see how he feels tomorrow. So, we'll see if Ruiz ends up starting as an ads catcher on Sunday. Not sure if that was going to happen anyway, right? Day game after a night game, maybe Riley Adams was an ad starting catcher in Game 1 of this series on Friday night. But a whole lot going on for Kbert Ruiz on Saturday night, just like there was a whole lot going on, and unfortunately not much of it good with Josiah Gray on Saturday night.
1: Hey, Nats fans, are you looking to buy or sell a home or an investment property? If so, contact Jamie Coppersmith and the Coppersmith Group at McInerney Associates, a huge Nats fan right from the get-go in 2005. Jamie has repeatedly been recognized by Washingtonian magazine as a top producing real estate agent across the DMV. Referred to by a client as a Jedi master of real estate, he will bring his expertise to bear on your behalf, helping you understand and navigate this challenging real estate market. Jamie is a five tool agent who's as patient as Juan Soto at the plate. He has his own version of Moneyball, a strategic and statistical market based analysis that balanced with a deep respect for your specific real estate needs, goals, and timeline. So whether buying or selling, call Jamie Coppersmith today at 202-525-7471 or visit his website at thecoppersmithgroup.com. That's Coppersmith with a K. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best
2: way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
3: Swing a drive to deep center field. This is way back. At the wall is Reynolds. He leaps and it is gone. Goodbye. Bang. Zoom goes Ryan Zimmerman. With his second pinch hit home run of the year. And his 13th home run overall. And a lot of Nationals fans who are in Pittsburgh enjoyed that one. The Nationals get a run back on a home run to dead center for the Z-Man. And it's now the Pirates 10. And the Nationals, seven.
0: The positives for the Nationals included yes, the offense. I've been saying this, I'm going to keep saying this. The Nationals can hit, and they continue to hit. The Nationals, rather sneakily, have one of the better offenses in the National League this season and another impressive offensive outing on Saturday night. And that's finished with seven runs, 12 hits, five walks. Juan Soto had four hits on Saturday night. Four for five with four singles, including an RBI single. Nats three-run fourth. Soto, single into right field. Nats two-run fifth. Soto, full count RBI single to right field for a 5-2 Nats lead. Nats one-run seventh. Soto, one-out single. Top of the eighth. Soto, two-out single. His major league leading on base percentage up to .454 on the season. The ex-Pirate, Josh Bell, he had another good game on Saturday night. Got on base three more times. Two for four with two singles and a walk. Three-run fourth, Bell a single up the middle to load the bases with nobody out. Bell in the top of the fifth, a single up the middle. Bell in the Nats one-run seventh, a one-out five-pitch walk as Bell continues to draw his walks. That's been so encouraging with him. His OPS for the season now at 8.15. It was just a few episodes ago we remarked how Josh Bell had reached the 800 OPS plateau on the year. Dude's up to 8.15 in just a handful of days. He looks so good right now at the plate, and you know he loves doing this at PNC Park. Ryan Zimmerman homered on Saturday night. We had a Ryan Zimmerman appearance. We don't get many of these these days, but I tell you what, Zimmerman, who earlier this season was not good at all as a pinch hitter. You know, that was supposed to be like a big part of his role with the ball club this season. His overall pinch hitting numbers for the season were really bad as of like a few weeks ago, but he's been much better in these pinch hitting scenarios lately, and he delivers in the top of the eighth on Saturday night a pinch leadoff homer To dead center on a 1-2 pitch to cut the Nats deficit to 10-7. The home run going a projected 411 feet per stat cast. The home run is Zim's 13th homer this season. And it's so interesting when you look at some of Ryan Zimmerman's rate stats on the year. He's slugging 473 on the season. Now, remember earlier in the season, the slugging percentage was sky high. It's come down, but that's a respectable slugging for a part-time player, 473, on the season. His on-base percentage, though, is 283. You know, Ryan Zimmerman is like uh, the modern day Rob Deere for the Nationals this season. Like, the only thing he does is hit homers. But that's a good thing. Like, there is value in that. Uh, but he doesn't draw walks. He doesn't get on base much otherwise. But 13 homers now, again, 473 slugging versus that 283 on base and a terrific shot on a 1-2 pitch again to begin that top of the eighth inning for the Nationals on Saturday night. Lane Thomas got on base two more times on Saturday night. The Lane train keeps rolling. One for four was Thomas with a double and a walk. Thomas in the Nats two-run fifth, a leadoff opposite field double to the right center field gap on an 0-2 pitch. Thomas in the top of the eighth drawing a seven-pitch walk. If you remember when Kyle Schwarber went nuclear in June I was giving you guys daily updates on the Kyle Schwarber surge in the slugging percentage because it was insane how that thing leapt up with all those homers Schwarber kept hitting. Here's your uh, your daily uh, Lane Thomas slash line update because this guy just keeps pounding and keeps uh, adding to these numbers here. 106 plate appearances for Lane Thomas at the major league level with the Nats. His batting average is up to 311. I guess actually it's down because he only went one for four on Saturday night, but his batting average is at 311. His on-base percentage is up to 406. And his slugging percentage is at 522, a 300, 400, 500 run for Lane Thomas so far for the Nationals at the major league level. And he's been so consistent. You know, I think that's the thing that's standing out maybe as much as anything. There are some guys who pile up numbers in bunches and clusters. With Lane Thomas, it's been a pretty even distribution here. I feel like you can count on one hand the number of games in which he hasn't gotten on base at all. And otherwise, it's like every game He's on base a few times. You know, every game he does something that we end up highlighting on the Nats Chat podcast. That that is a remarkable consistency. And to me, I, I always rather have that than the guy who goes off for a month and then disappears for a month. You want reliability. You want consistency. And we'll see ultimately if Lane Thomas is a reliable, consistent major league player. But what you have to say is so far, and the sample size keeps growing, like I said, 106 major league plate appearances with the Nats, he has been a reliable, consistent player. For the Nationals. And Alcides Escobar continues to deliver offensively. Two for five with an RBI double and a single. Escobar in that Nats three run fourth, a leadoff full count single to center field. And Escobar in the Nats two run fifth, going golfing for a full count RBI double to the left center field gap on a low pitch for a 4 2 Nats lead, despite having been down in the count at 1.12. I say it all the time with Alcides Escobar. To me, it is as true as anything is true with any hitter on the Nationals. Nobody is better on the Nats right now, this season, maybe even in recent seasons, at turning essentially trash into treasure. You know, at turning a plate appearance in which you're down 0 2 or 1 2 into a productive plate appearance. And Escobar does it on the regular. In fact, it feels like the bulk of his hits come in plate appearances in which he is down at one point 0 2 or 1 2. That is such a skill. You know, and we know that Alcides Escobar is a guy who puts balls in play. I mean, he's been known to do that for years, going back to his time with the Kansas City Royals. But, we, you know, to see it on a day-in, day-out basis, I think you really appreciate it when you see it that way. And Alcides Escobar just continues to produce in that circumstance. And like I said, on that hit, going golfing. You know, it seemed like a low pitch, but he figures out a way to put bat on ball, and he ends up getting himself that full count ribby double to the left center field gap for a 4-2 Nationals lead. So like I said, lots of different Nationals hitting well. The Nationals overall continued to hit well. Two guys, though, who did not hit particularly well on Saturday night. And two guys who had defensive issues on Saturday night. Two guys who are kind of tied to the hip for various reasons. Luis Garcia and Carter Keyboom. So Luis Garcia in this game 0-3 with an intentional walk. He left four men on base. I don't want to hit Luis too hard on the offense because he's been so much better in that regard lately. But he also committed a crucial error. And Luis Garcia really is emerging here as a high variance defensive second baseman. His good is great, but his bad is brutal. And we had some bad from Luis Garcia in this game defensively on Saturday night. And what ended up being a Pirates four run, six inning, Luis Garcia commits a two out, two run fielding error in butchering a Ben Gamble grounder into shallow right field on a shift for a 9 5 Pirates lead. The ball was basically hit right to Garcia in the shift, and he bots the play. I mean, there are no two ways about it. Two runs ended up scoring. You know, for all of the times that people, especially people on TV, like to say when a team is in the shift, well, if they weren't in the shift, that wouldn't have been a hit, you know? There are many more times that the shift works. This was a classic example of that. The ball was basically hit right to Luis Garcia in shallow right field. Whoever is responsible for assembling national shifts, who's you know, gathering that data, telling Davey, hey, this is how you deploy these guys when this guy's batting. Excellent job in that regard. The ball was hit again, right to Luis. That's exactly how the shift is supposed to work. And he just doesn't make the play. Luis Garcia will make these spectacular acrobatic web gems. And then on basic routine plays, he comes up short. You know, it just, it drives you nuts. You know, he's capable. Of being an excellent defensive second baseman. But we're not seeing it just yet. You can't say that he's there yet because that consistency is lacking. Now, he's so young, right? I mean, he's 21 years old. So you'd like to think he's working the kinks out. And by this time, hopefully next season or maybe two years from now, we're talking about a guy who's very good defensively. But right now, you know, it's just like sometimes you see him be spectacular and sometimes you see him and you're like, what are you doing, dude? And that was one of those moments, that two-run error and that four-run six inning. And then Carter Kieboom. So Carter had a really bad night offensively. 0 for 5 with two strikeouts. He left seven men on base and he had a bad defensive moment. This is a little more excusable than what happened with Luis Garcia, although this still to me was not good. So Kieboom failed to field A Kevin Newman went out RBI double off Sam Clay to left field in the bottom of the seventh inning for a 10-6 Pirates lead. Now, the replays that were available to us were not very good in terms of trying to analyze what happened with Carter. So I'm just going off what you saw from afar. And if you watch the game, you know of what I speak very afar on the replay. But what looked like happened is, so Newman did hit the ball hard, but keep him whiffed on an attempted backhanded attempt at the baseball, you know? Carter Keatboom plays a position third base that is known as what, right? The hot corner. So sometimes balls are hit in hot fashion. Like that's part of the position. And that he failed to backhand that baseball, that he failed to make a play on that baseball, to me was disappointing. So, you know, not an easy play necessarily, but you'd like for your third baseman to be able to make a play like that, especially, you know, if the game is crucial and in a spot like that, you're trying to keep your deficit to what it was and instead. The double ends up going out there and the Pirates tack on a run to go up 10-6 in the game. That chat is sponsored by Silver Branch Brewing Company, located in downtown Silver Spring. Only a one-minute walk from the Silver Spring Metro Station, Silver Branch is a perfect jumping-off point to Metro down to the game. Park at the Cameron Street parking lot and meet up with friends for a beer and a bite to eat before Metroing down. You can also get Silver Branch beer
1: Hey Nats fans, this is Eric Bramer, play-by-play broadcaster for the Fredericksburg Nationals. Time is running out to see the Fred Nats in their inaugural 2021 season at beautiful new Fred Nats Ballpark. With promotions every night of the week and a talented roster that includes Jackson Rutledge, Jeremy De La Rosa, Brandon Bossier, Jordi Barley, and many more, the time's never been better to see tomorrow's Washington Nationals stars today. Visit frednats.com for ticket information and follow us on social media at FXBGNats for the latest updates. Two balls and a strike. Here's the pitch. And a
4: ground ball up the third baseline. Fair ball down the line headed toward the corner. Racing for third is Park. He's going to be waved in. The throw toward the plate. The slide. And he's in there safely. And over to third is Newman. So the Pirates get a run back and lead 10-6. It'll be an RBI double for Newman to third on the throw as Park scores all the way from first.
0: Well, I mentioned Sam Clay. This was another very bad game for the Nationals bullpen. And Clay was far from the worst of the culprits here. But Nationals relievers in this game on Saturday night combined to allow five runs, three earned in three innings. And what just made you want to scream, okay? What made you want to shout to the heavens as a Nationals fan. So you have Josiah Gray, like I said. Issue six walks in five innings. Then Alberto Baldonado and Andres Machado combine to give us that beautiful four-run Pirates six inning. Baldonado and Machado in that inning combined to allow four runs two earned. All right, this is the bottom of the sixth inning. But what really just made you want to, like I said, scream. Baldonado and Machado combined to issue four walks in that inning. We've talked so many times, Mark and I, on this podcast, right? How natural relievers will come into games, not throw strikes. And how Nats relievers will come into games and inevitably issue leadoff walks. It feels like that happens all the time, right? In this game, Baldonado and Machado, four walks in that bottom of the sixth inning. The first three Nats pitchers on Saturday night, Josiah Gray, Alberto Baldonado, and Andres Machado, combined to issue 10 walks in six innings. Let me repeat that. 10 walks in six innings. I mentioned the game taking three hours, 53 minutes. This is why, okay? Gray, Baldonado, and Machado made Gio Gonzalez look like Greg Maddox in terms of control in this game. It was unbelievable watching. I'd love to know in the history of baseball how often that has happened. Three different pitchers over the first six innings of a game combining to issue at least 10 walks, and yet that is precisely what happened in this game. Baldonado, bottom of the sixth inning, faces three batters, gets this one out, begins the bottom of the sixth by issuing back-to-back walks of Michael Perez and Hoy Park, though Baldonado does then get an out on a sacrifice bunt. Then Machado comes into the game, bottom of the sixth, runners on second and third, one out, game tied at five. He promptly does what? Walks the first batter, he faces a Nationals bullpen specialty. Key Ryan Hayes is walked on four pitches To load the bases. I mean, you could not really have scripted that to be much worse, right? Machado comes into the game, tight spot, walks the first man he faces, and walks him on four pitches. You know, it's a no doubter. Key Brian Hayes is walked to load the bases. Then Machado issues a tie-breaking, two-out, five-pitch, bases-loaded walk of Brian Reynolds for a six-five Pirates lead, and then Machado gives up a two-out, bases-loaded RBI infield single to Colin Moran on a perfectly placed swinging bunt for a 7-5 Pirates lead. So I don't kill Machado for that play, but when you put a bunch of guys on base, you know, you put yourself in position to get got on a play like that, right? So that's an unlucky RBI infield single given up by Machado, but it's hard to have a lot of sympathy for him because, again, he gives up those walks. Then came that Luis Garcia two-out, two-run fielding error in butchering the Ben Gamble grounder into shallow right field to put the Pirates up 9-5. Clay allowed a run in the bottom of the seventh inning on a double and a single to put the Pirates up 10-6 the only Nationals reliever in this game who got the job done, Ryan Harper, a scoreless bottom of the eighth inning with two strikeouts. But we've seen this many times. We are going to continue to see this over the final few weeks of the regular season. This is the Nats bullpen. You know, Sometimes it does do well. And sometimes individual guys look really good. But way too often, the bullpen collectively does not deliver. And that was the case in this game. But the pitching obviously starts with Josiah Gray, who the Nationals have got to get back on track. Well, speaking of trying to get a starting pitcher back on track, game three at the Pirates, Sunday afternoon at 105. Patrick Corbin will be the Nats starting pitcher. Uh, Corbin is coming off a semi-decent outing. 4-3 win over the Mets at Nationals Park this past Monday afternoon, Labor Day. Three runs in seven innings. Now you say, well, that's better than decent, especially by Corbin standards. Well, the line is, yes, the peripherals were not very good, though, in this game. Corbin gave up 11 hits on Monday afternoon. 11 hits, a homer, or a double, and nine singles he only had four strikeouts did though only issue one walk so that was good and he did throw strikes in the outing 73 strikes versus 41 balls on 114 pitches and remember this game too Corbin battled in this game Davey left Corbin in the game for a while and Corbin ultimately delivered uh he answered the call top of the seventh inning he tossed a scoreless seventh inning uh, despite giving up a single in a walk. But like I said, he threw 114 pitches in that outing. Also had a single uh, in that game in an Astros one-run fourth inning. So yeah, I mean, I don't know what to expect, okay? I mean, no, the Pirates don't hit well, but they sure seem to do just fine offensively on Saturday night. You know, Patrick Corbin still has the worst ERA among all qualified pitchers in the majors this season. ERA is 614 over 27 starts. I'm interested to see what the crowd is like at PNC Park tomorrow. You know, n- not, not, that I'm exp- not that we've had, you know, some cauldrons uh, that the Nationals have been playing in over these last few games here, okay? We know the deal. I mean, the Pirates are perennially bad with the exception of those three consecutive playoff appearances 2013 through 2015. But, you know, PNC Park is a beautiful park, but the Pirates are not a very well-run franchise. But for instance, you did get a pretty good crowd on Saturday night, uh, nearly 18,000 at PNC Park. But Sunday afternoon is, of course, the start of the NFL regular season in earnest, right? We had opening night on Thursday night. But Sunday afternoon, it's a one o five game, also 1 o'clock on Sunday, Steelers at the Buffalo Bills. And anyone who knows anything about Pittsburgh knows it's Steelers first and then everything else second. My wife is from Pittsburgh. Her family's from Pittsburgh. I mean, it's amazing. The Steelers are like a religion up there. So I'm not sure how many people are going to be in that ballpark on Sunday afternoon with the Steelers playing at the Bills. And what is one of the more attractive games on the NFL week one card. But whatever, whether there are 18,000 people or 18 people, Patrick Corbin needs to try to end his season in a positive way. You know, I've given up on trying to predict what Corbin does. But like I said, if the Nationals are going to be better sooner rather than later, you would think that includes, like I said, Josiah Gray delivering on the hype and Patrick Corbin getting his act together. To those ends, you can always email the Nats Chat Podcast, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. Email from Stan, if the Nats don't fire Hickey quickly, he will ruin Gray just like he has others. Triple exclamation mark. Well, thank you, Stan. You know, I've thought a lot about the Jim Hickey situation and we've gotten a lot of questions about Jim Hickey. And I guess the way to answer the Jim Hickey question is this. We don't know enough about what he has done and hasn't done with Nats pitchers this season to be able to say whether he's at fault for this complete collapse of the Nats rotation, okay? Or at least whether he has a sizable portion of the blame that should rest on his shoulders for this complete collapse of the Nats rotation. But what we can say is this, in this his first season as Nationals pitching coach, the results of the Nats pitching staff are not good, okay? So whether that's on him to any reasonable extent or not, tough to say, what we can say is that the pitching staff has been really bad this season. And we have seen not only people struggle, but like I noted, we've seen regression. Corbin regressed. Fetty regressed. Ross regressed. We're in the midst now of seeing Josiah Gray regress. So yeah, it doesn't look good. Now, is that Jim Hickey's fault? I can't say. Maybe he's telling these guys to do all the right things and they're just not listening. Maybe he's telling these guys to do the right things and they're just not doing it because it's just not clicking for them. I don't know. You know, I mean, I don't think Jim Hickey took stupid pills coming into this season. There's a reason Davey Martinez handpicked Jim Hickey to be the Nats pitching coach. But no doubt, the pitching results this season are not good. And it's very troubling to see Josiah Gray's season unraveling here over these last three starts. Email from John Walker. He writes, was struck by the Gray Day idea mentioned on the podcast recently. Continues Walker, FYI, and Little Hoya Al may know this. Yes, uh, that's a reference to me having gone to Georgetown Prep High School. Continues John, Georgetown U has had a thing called a gray out game at one home hoops game for years. Yeah. And uh, continues John, complete with free t-shirts. I may have to rock one of these shirts if I attend another Josiah Gray starts. So we, you know, John gets into this thing of, do we need to come up with a theme for Josiah Gray starts? Do we need to come up with like a nickname for Josiah Gray? Listen, Josiah Gray needs to pitch better. Then we can worry about nicknames and t-shirts for Josiah Gray. All right. I mean, Gray Day works quite nicely because his last name, because of his last name. But, you know, this guy's got to get that ERA down and this guy's got to develop consistency. And then we can have some more fun with the hashtags and the t-shirts and the nicknames here. Yeah. But potentially there are some marketing opportunities with Josiah Gray. Well, a reminder, uh, Sunday morning at nine, while you're getting ready to watch the Nationals and the Pirates, while you're getting ready for the first NFL Sunday of the season. Listen to the radio version of the Nats Chat Podcast. Ronnie, Sunday morning at 9 on one oh six one ESPN in Richmond. So if you're in the Richmond area, give it a listen. Again, that's at 9 o'clock on one oh six one FM in Richmond. And if you're out of the Richmond area, you can listen online, ESPNRichmond.com. You can always tweet us at Nats underscore chat. You can email us to Nats chat Podcast at gmail.com, including if you have a voice memo that you'd like to share with us and with the world, uh, with the collective Nats Chat Podcast universe, we're taking your submissions right now in terms of your predictions for the Nationals. We're asking for one prediction for the Nats for 2022. But we know many of you still want to share your World Series memories or October 2019 memories. So you can submit those as well. Just record yourself speaking into your smartphone and then email the file to us. Podcast at gmail.com. Dot com. I know we ask you guys to do this all the time. Uh, just again, if you don't already subscribe to the podcast, please consider subscribing. Uh, that doesn't cost you anything. And uh, if you haven't yet given the podcast a five-star rating and just written like a one or two-sentence review, especially on Apple Podcasts, please consider doing those things. They cost you nothing. They take like 30 seconds and they help out the cause. That is the Natch Chat Podcast a lot. You can get yourself a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt by going to square. That site. All Nationals radio highlights on Natch Chatter, courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. I'm Al Galdi, uh, myself, and Mark. will talk to you next time on the Natch Chat Podcast. And right now, we leave you with a World Series voice memo. This one comes to us from Akul mera of Great Falls, Virginia.
6: Hey, Alan, Mark. My name is Akul Mera. I'm from Great Falls, Virginia. Uh, I'm currently in Blacksburg, Virginia, as I'm a, a grad student at Virginia Tech, back in 2019 in the postseason I uh, was a junior in college um, I was also at Virginia Tech here in Blacksburg and I have a great story from game five of the NLDS against the Dodgers so a little backstory I remember I was I was 13 years old back in 2012 and I remember the game against the Cardinals where Drew Storm blew at game five and I was 13 years old you know didn't wasn't really as into baseball as I am now but I turned the game off after the third inning when we were up 6-0 and you know I put put kind of like dates of the uh, the NLCS in my mind and I was kind of ready excited the Nats were were moving on Um, this whole playoff thing was very new to me and so ever since then you know I became pretty superstitious about watching the games all the way through Um, that was obviously a heartbreaking experience for me the next morning when I woke up and checked the scores and the Nats had lost and so Fast forward now to 2019 Game 5 NLDS against the Dodgers in L.A. Uh, The game started at about 8.30 Eastern time. And so by the time the game ended, it was pretty late for us here on the East Coast, at least it was for me. And even more so for me because I had an exam the next morning in my 8 a.m. class. Um, It's my introduction to transportation engineering class. And I was really nervous about it. And so I thought, you know, let me me get some good sleep tonight so I can do well on the exam tomorrow. And so... You know, that the seventh inning ended against the Dodgers, and I saw that Clayton Kershaw was, you know, still come back on the mound for the eighth inning. And so I said, you know what? After seeing what Kershaw has done to us previously in the playoffs, this is probably not going to look good for us. I'm probably good to go to bed. You know, we'll try again next year. And, of course, the top of the eighth inning was when Juan Soto and Anthony Rendon hit the back-to-back home runs to tie the game. And then, obviously, we know what Hava Kendrick did in the 10th. But I went to bed honestly I feel like minutes, maybe seconds before those two home runs were hit. And I obviously woke up the next morning to tons of text messages and all my friends being, Oh my god, you see that and you know, obviously I hadn't responded and you know, woke up next morning and absolutely went crazy, went berserk. Probably woke up all my roommates at like seven thirty in the morning. And I guess that was just another lesson for me. Um, I guess I hadn't learned from twenty twelve that you gotta watch all these games through. And of course the rest of the postseason I don't think I had any other exams the next day um, for any other games, but I watched every, every second of every inning all the way through. I didn't miss a single pitch because um, I guess I had to be taught that lesson once more, um, and I will definitely will not be missing another second in the future. Thank you, Alan, Mark, and Tim, uh, for putting us all together and for allowing us to share our memories. Um, I thought that was a pretty great story to share. Keep up the good work. Love the podcast. I listen every single day. Uh, make the time still. My busy schedule, just like thousands, maybe millions of other people do. Um, So, just want to thank you guys again and have a good one.
4: Here's the one-two delivery. swing a line drive right field. That's a base hit toward the line. Rendon being waved in. Peterson throws it in toward the plate, and it is not in time. Rendon scores standing on an RBI single for Juan Soto. The Nationals are on the board here in Game Five. Juan Soto drives in his third run of the Division Series. It's now Los Angeles three and the Nationals one.